Love telling you about Steel Products. You know what I just did? I went on their website, steelusa.com, S-T-I-H-L, and it's ridiculous. I love doing this because there are so many superb products. Now, I have a number of them I've told you about, but they have trimmers, as you know. They have stuff you can prune trees, and if you need to get up high, they have the extensions that allow you to do it. They have blowers, backpack blowers, handheld blowers. They have lawn mowers. They have chainsaws galore. It's like a toy store to help keep your property pristine, to keep it the best in the neighborhood. S-T-I-H-L, steeldealers.com. There's more than 10,000 around the country, so you know there's one in your neighborhood. Again, it's S-T-I-H-L. Go to their website, like I've done many times, and you're going to say, I want that one, I want that one, I'm going to get that one. They're going to keep your property beautiful. Steeldealers.com, steelusa.com, S-T-I-H-L. Hey, love telling you about Boyer's Coffee. Start my morning with it every day. You know that. Been telling you about them for years. They have a new brand out. It's called Mountain Reserve Coffee, and they have several products named after 14ers. El Diente, Maroon Peak, Mount Albert, and it is in the grand tradition of Boyer's Coffee. It is locally brewed. It is outstanding, and they've been brewing things locally here since 1965. So it's not just take care of somebody that is a a native in terms of a company, but it's also the best coffee you're going to taste out there. So do as I've done. Get it delivered to your house. Just get on their website at boyerscoffee.com, and you'll get taken care of, and uh, you can go shopping uh, anytime you want, and then voila, within 48 hours, it's right at your front door. Or if you prefer, you can go to your local supermarket. I love the K-Cups. I have them delivered, as I said, right to my house. It's boyerscoffee.com. Simply the best. This week on the Drew Goodman Podcast, Rockies hitting coach Dave Magadan on his illustrious 15 years in the big leagues and on different ways to coach different Rockies hitters. Crony, you can do it from a little more joking standpoint and, you know, hey, you stink today. What's going on? You know, about whatever it is and he laughs with you and all that. Other guys are, you got to massage them a little bit and you got to learn the guys. You got to learn their personalities. Subscribe to the Drew Goodman Podcast wherever you find podcasts and tell a friend. This is the Drew Goodman Podcast. Welcome in, everybody. Glad, as always, you're cheering along. It is show number 162. It is gorgeous out. Good to be back in Colorado. It's a Tuesday afternoon uh, recording this week after the Rockies had one of those games. They needed a laugher, man, and it came at the expense of Nolan Arenado, Paul Goldschmidt, and the red-hot St. Louis Cardinals. They won Monday night 16-5. to uh, You didn't see that one coming, especially with Miles Michaelis on the mound, who was an all-star for the second time this year, brought in a sub-3 ERA, and they absolutely blew his ass up. Nine runs in the third. They got a three-run home run in the first from C.J. Crone, and they win going away 16-5. to I understand it's a lost season for the Rockies, a tremendously disappointing season. But when one of those nights happen, it's fun. How about Ryan McMahon's 495-foot home run? That's one when you're calling it off the bat, you're like, okay, the center fielder's already quit, so it's gone. And then you see it hit into the second deck, above 
the bullpen, the, the left side of the bullpen, the center field side of the visiting bullpen, nobody goes up there. And they estimated that at 495 feet, which made it uh, tied for the sixth longest home run ever in the StatCast era. So uh, a, a great night for the Rockies. They cooled off, at least as of this taping, the Cardinals for a moment. Cardinals look great. They're in first place in the NL Central. They've overcome uh, the suddenly problematic Milwaukee Brewers. And I, and I want to start there. That Some of the teams that, that made a number of moves at the trade deadline, at least initially, uh, struggling. The New York Yankees are struggling. They've been struggling for more than a month. They were very busy around the trade deadline. Uh, the team that made the biggest splash was the team where the Rockies were visiting last week, uh, the San Diego Padres. And when Juan Soto and Josh Bell uh, and Brandon Drury all got in the lineup for the first time, the Padres won. It was a, an electric crowd uh, in San Diego. And uh, everything seemed great. And then they went to Dodger Stadium and they got swept. And the Rockies also beat them in that final uh, game of the five-game series. So uh, in their first five, they were one and four. Then they lost to the Giants one to nothing. So they were one and five in their first six games with their new cast. Uh, they won again as of this taping last night. Uh, the other team that I wanted to mention that was really active was Milwaukee. Now, they traded Josh Hader, and a lot of people questioned that, and Hader has struggled a little bit now with the Padres, but they have fallen behind uh, the Cardinals, and it, there's still a long way to go. Th these are initial readings on moves made, and I applaud all those clubs because they're trying to win right now. They're going all in. Padres pushed all their chips to the middle of the table, and they're going to get Fernando Tatis back in the next week or so. And that is going to be a formidable team. If they don't win it, I think people will look to the fact that they haven't been together that long. Were they able to develop chemistry? Can you just hire all the best players on in a short term and win? The answer to that is yes. When it doesn't happen, we run out those convenient lines like, well, they haven't played together, they have no chemistry. But it's still going to be uh, a great lineup, as you know. It already is a great lineup. And when they bring uh, back to Tees, it makes it that much longer. I like their starting pitching. I still would take my chances with Josh Hader uh, in the ninth inning. We'll see what transpires. It's just interesting that in the first week, those three teams in particular uh, did not get off to the rousing start second half post-trade deadline that they had uh, hoped uh, for. The Dodgers are an interesting team. They just keep winning. They keep winning, and uh, I've seen where Bellinger and Muncie have contributed more of late. They have some issues in the ninth inning. I mean, Craig Kimbrell... Uh, has base runners every outing, it seems like, in the ninth. But they are going to get Blake Trinan back. They are going to get uh, Grotterall back, Bruzgar Grotterall. That is going to help them as well. They're going to be a tough out. But I think everybody watching closely in the National League has turned their attention to the New York Metropolitans because what they're doing and their cast really makes you pause. The sport is always about pitching. We know that. And it's great to have a, a an all-star lineup like the Padres do, like the first half of the Dodger lineup. Great. Wonderful. 
awesome. <laughs> wish that wish all those guys were in Rockies uniforms, right? However, when you can roll out Jacob DeGrom and Max Scherzer, or Max Scherzer and Jacob DeGrom, and oh, by the way, Edwin Diaz coming into trumpets blaring in the ninth inning, teams ain't got a shot no matter who you have in the lineup. So if those two guys can stay upright and are ready to go in October, the Mets are the team to beat. And it's not like their offense is chopped liver. I mean, you have P. Alonso, uh, Frankie Lindor now in his second year, you know, 20 plus home runs, not getting booed anymore at City Field. He's been really, really good. Uh, Naquin, Tyler Naquin, that uh, trade for him seems to be working out quite nicely. Daniel Vogelbach will be a New York legend uh, if, if they win a World Series. He just came uh, recently. Uh, that That's a good baseball team. That's a really good baseball team headlined by the return of DeGrom and, and Max Scherzer, who's been there most of the year. I know Max was out uh, for a while. And um, it made me think about, you know, I, I always relate everything to where the Rockies are and can and how do they get back to not only being a postseason team, but how can they assemble a, a cast where they truly could win it all? And yes, it begins with pitching. And I start thinking back, okay, how many times have the Rockies had that guy where, boy, you knew every fifth day, uh, there was a hell of a chance the Rockies were going to win. I mean, Kyle Freeland pitched that way in 2018, certainly. We've seen Herman uh, Marquez pitched that way um, at, at different junctures of his career. Certainly, the first half of last year—that's why he was an all-star. Where you felt, man, he's on the mound. It's going to be—it's going to be hard to hit for the opposition. But the one time that the Rockies had a guy where you were like, this is going to be fun. Can't wait to get to the yard because he may punch out the first eight. Uh, he may have a no-hitter going into the seventh. Was Ubaldo in 2010. You knew where I was going with this. That was ridiculous. That's what Met fans feel if they go to a ball game and Jacob deGrom's on the hill, or even Max Scherzer. And Scherzer's been doing it year after year after year. He's a first ballot Hall of Famer, clearly. Jacob DeGrom is 34. He's throwing 101, 102. He's sitting on that. He throws 96-mile-an-hour sliders. I, I watched some of the highlights the other day. He threw 16 sliders in his last outing, 16 swings and misses. 16 sliders, 16 swings and misses. Come on, man. That's ridiculous. And I know that there aren't many Jacob DeGroms running around or Max Scherzer's. As I like to say, there's only about, you know, truly 10, 12 number ones in baseball. You know, Justin Verlander's done it for a long time. He's doing it again in the American League. He may win an uh, American League Cy Young again uh, this year, and he's bumping 40. So these these are rare birds. Um, I get excited about some of the young prospects that the Rockies have, position players. I can't wait to see Ezekiel Tovar. I'm really digging what uh, Montero's doing right now, Elleris Montero. As we speak today, he's got an eight-game hitting streak, and in most of those games are multi-hit uh, games. He finally hit his first home run. He's going to be impactful. He's going to be, in all likelihood, a middle-of-the-order bat. I'm excited about that. 
Um, as I said, I'm excited about when Ezekiel Tovar gets here, and hopefully it's not uh, it's not too far down the road. Shortstop who can pick it, uh, who's got pop, who, who's got some moxie to him. All of those things uh, get all Rockies fans excited. But there's nothing like when you have a pitching prospect that you hope can be a true number one. Rockies don't have one right now. Many teams are in the same boat. But it got me thinking watching the highlights of DeGrom in his last outing, watching the continual highlights of Max Scherzer. And yeah, as I said, the Mets are the team to beat in the National League. I was talking to Buddy recently, and and I think he defined it pretty well. There's a a handful of teams that have separated themselves pretty clearly um, if you tier the playoff teams right now. The Mets, the Dodgers, Padres with their roster, certainly. The Yankees, and I know the last month or so, they have not played great baseball, uh, but you have to like the composition of the the Yankees roster. That's not to say that there are not issues in different places. Uh, Houston, those teams uh, are, are clearly at the highest level. And then the next tier may include the Cardinals, who the Rockies are, are currently playing, maybe Milwaukee, um, you know, maybe a Toronto, that ilk of team. But right now, the aforementioned five have separated themselves. And yeah, a lot can change. But for me, the number one team in baseball, the Mets. And it's because you have two guys. So two out of every five days, the other team basically has no shot. All right. I'm really excited about uh, our interview this week. It is Dave Magadan. Now, if you're not as familiar with Dave Magadan, he's the hitting coach uh, for the Rockies. He's been there for a few years. He's held that post uh, for other teams, uh, Arizona, prior to uh, being with the Rockies. He's a really even keel guy, good guy, who was a hell of a hitter over 16 years in his big league career. And we talk about how things have changed from when he played in the you know, late 80s through the 90s and where they are now. Because Dave was a big guy. You know, Dave was 6'3", you know, 220 pounds, but was not a home run hitter. Hit 42 home runs in his big league career, but he had over 1,000 hits. Um, He drove in runs, well over 200 doubles. As I said, hit almost 290 uh, in his big league career. So we have a, a, a long and I think interesting conversation about uh, Dave growing up in Tampa with um, a very well-known relative, shall we say, and uh, then coming up with the famed 86 Mets and on to uh, what he's doing now and some of the uh, guys he's working with with the Rockies. I think you'll enjoy it. It's our Ideal Home Loans Interview of the Week. It's Rockies hitting coach Dave Magadan. All right, I want to take you back. Tampa Jesuit, even before that. Lou Pinella, what's your relationship? I know he's he's a relative. I believe he's your godfather as well. Is that right? Yes, he is. He uh, he's my godfather. He's my cousin. He's my on my father's side. My father's sister's son. Uh, as far as my relationship with him, uh, it's it's very good. I don't get to see him as much as I would like. Uh, he does live in Tampa. Uh, with me in the off season, but uh, 
you know, growing up, you know, he's much older than me. So, but we would make family trips every summer when he was in the minor leagues. We'd go down and see him playing for the Peninsula. I think it was the Peninsula Pilots when he was in the minor leagues. And so we went all over the place. When he got to the big leagues, we went to Kansas City to see him play his rookie year. Went went to Washington to see him play the Senators. So we were very involved. My father was very close to him. Uh, big influence on him on his baseball career was the guy with Lou's father used to take him out, throw BP to him, and so you know it's a, it's a baseball family, and and uh, don't get to see him quite as much as I'd like to, but uh, you know we keep in touch. Did you get uh, to chuckle a little bit knowing him as well as you do and did when he would have? one of his tirades, especially when, when he managed, because they became legendary. He was a great manager. He was a hell of a player. But for someone like myself, who knew him from afar and just got to meet him a handful of times, those were entertaining. They, they were baseball memories. But your family, man. No, I, I was entertained by it as well. I think my, my, my dad and his parents were probably a little more embarrassed by it, but he was very he's very fiery his really his whole life some of the funniest stories i've heard are some of the stories that that when he was in high school he was a prolific scorer in basketball still holds his scoring record for uh points per game at jesuit uh averaged 32 points a game his senior year so you know but he always had a temper uh his mom had a temper his mom got into it a few times with the with the uh, principal there at Jesuit when he was going to school there. And uh, so it, it it's, uh, comes from a long line of bad tempers in our family. And, uh, you know, it, it was entertaining to watch, but I, I think for the most part, especially his, his mom and dad and my dad, were, were a little embarrassed by some of this stuff. Who had the biggest influence on you playing the game, you excelling uh, early on? There's no doubt it was my dad. Uh, my dad was the one that, took me and my brother out to uh, take BP on the weekends and even when it was basketball or football season we were out there taking BP uh, you know he uh, he purposely took a job where he can get out of he can get out of work when we were getting out of school so he would take us to go hit during the week or he was our manager when we were growing up playing little league so uh, he certainly made a lot of a lot of huge sacrifices for us uh, to make us better athletes, and uh, you know, I owe everything to him. Was it a tough decision coming out of high school to uh, to go the college route, go to Alabama? Take us through that. It was, you know, I was a very young senior. I I, I was 17 years old when I graduated from high school, and very thin. You know, six two, six three, probably 175 pounds. I was very thin, wasn't very strong. Uh, got drafted in the uh, 12th round by Boston and uh, I didn't feel like I was ready to play professional baseball uh, I felt like I needed to go somewhere maybe in another area where different scouts would see me uh, Alabama opportunity came up for me and uh, I jumped on it it was playing in the SEC it was a team that was coming off a, a poor year with a new coach so I just felt like it was going to be a great opportunity for me. You hit, uh, I hope I have this right. I want to say, was it junior year or sophomore you hit 552 or something like that? What was it? I said not to embarrass you, but go go ahead. No. What, what was it? Uh, it was my junior year, 525. 
Is that know, still the NCAA record, by the way? It, it wasn't an NCAA record. Uh, there was, was one other guy that hit like 531 or something like that. Fewer at bats, smaller Division One school. Uh, but it, it's certainly an SEC record. Uh, you know, it's just one of those years where, you know, I, I didn't I didn't give away one at bat, obviously, just because of the numbers. And uh, me and another guy, we would hit after every practice. We'd go to each other. We'd try and get each other out. And I don't know, it just locked me in for the whole year. And uh, we continued to do that all the way through playing in Omaha. So uh, I owe a lot to him. Uh, and he, he ended up having a great year himself. So, uh, you know, it was just one of those dream years that, you know, everything fell in for me, and, you know, I barreled up a lot of balls. Back then, a little different from now. We'll get into now also from what you do for a living these days. But you, you're, you know, what are you, 6'3", six, 6'4"? Six, was there always pressure? Because you were a great hitter, and, and you know I grew up in New York. I remember you playing with the Mets. Was there pressure to go, Max? You got to hit it out of the ballpark. You got you got to hit for more pop. There was when I got to the big leagues. Uh, you know, I played in the minor leagues. Always hit for average, high on base. Didn't hit for power at all. Uh, but nobody ever told me. You know, they were like, "Keep doing what you do. Keep doing." I think they thought the Mets organization probably thought that I would eventually grow into my power. Uh, but I got so obsessed with line drives and getting hits and hitting the ball to all fields and hitting for a high average that you know if i knew then what i know now i probably would have made the adjustment on my own but i think i was so obsessed with just getting hits and hitting for a high average and being productive because i still i drove in runs i scored runs uh but then when i got to the big leagues it was like oh he plays a corner position he's got to hit for more power and i was always like well geez i wish somebody would have liked I didn't know how to hit for power. I just knew how to hit the way that I hit. I think I kind of, I was a little flummoxed by that because, you know, why why didn't anybody, like, work with me as far as, like, you know, maybe pulling the ball more or whatever they felt like I had to do to hit for more power. So it was frustrating. It certainly kept me from being an everyday player in the big leagues on a consistent basis. But in the end, I ended up playing a long time because I did have bat-to-ball skills. I hit, you know, I had a good eye. I took my walks. Uh, I became a better defender. So that's what kept me in the big leagues as long as it did. Do you think that it was more accepted then, even though, yes, you know, you just explained where there was some pressure to hit the ball over the wall because you were a corner guy. But, but now it's like, you know, three true outcomes and you got to hit the ball over the wall especially someone your size and if you're going to play right left really pretty much any spot on the diamond now they want home runs yeah no doubt i think but i think i would have been a candidate for a swing change because i mean that's what happens to a lot of guys now that they do have a very good eye and they swing at strikes and they swing at the right pitches and they have a good approach but they don't hit for power uh, Max Muncy is a perfect example of a guy that didn't hit for a lot of power in the minors. The the Dodgers identified him as a guy that they can make a change with and make him more of a power threat, and, and that's exactly what he did. And I think I probably would have been a candidate for that. And, you know, I didn't know. When I hit a home run, I hit it a long way. But I didn't know why I hit it a long way, you know. And, and I think I – obviously I probably know more now than I did back then. I just kind of – 
tried to show up with my stroke every day and be the best hitter that I thought I could be. But I would occasionally hit a ball 430 feet, and I was like, geez, I don't understand why I did that, you know. And, and it was it was a little frustrating. You know, I had some hitting coaches tinker with me, and I think it set me back a little bit. But uh, I wish, you know, the information that we have today would have been av- uh, available to us back then. I think it would have probably made me a better, or at least have a chance to be an everyday player. I know what I think when I hear the term launch angle. What do you think when you hear that term the last several years? I think of guys making a lot of easy outs. Uh, Good, because that's what I think. Go ahead. Obviously, you don't want to hit a lot of ground balls. But I think when when you're always striving for that optimum launch angle, 24 degrees and you know, your misses are going to be out, you know. So I'm a big believer in hit the ball hard, barrel it up, hit hard line drives and carry to the gaps. Then your misses are going to be home runs, or maybe it's going to be a hard ground ball that ends up being a hit. Uh, so I think it, it drives me a little batty that there's a lot of people out there that preach the launch angle and trying to get that optimum, you know, degree of launch with exit velo and all that. But you know, hitting is done, successful hitting is done on the margins, right? You're going to get beat a little bit and line a ball to right. You're going to hit a ball a little out in front, and you're still going to stay through it and hit it to left, and maybe it's a double down the line. There's very few times that you hit the ball at the perfect spot to get that perfect launch angle and get that perfect exit velo or that high exit velo. Hitters are always living a little, you know, getting beat a little bit or being a little more out in front. And when you're, when you, when you create a swing that is always looking for that one spot for optimum contact, to me that's that's not the way to go. You need margin of error. The pitching is too good. Too much late action on the pitches. Uh, tough way to hit. Tough way to make a living. That explanation, Max, reminded me of something Reggie Jackson said. Now, he said a lot of things, but he said, and it probably wasn't a tremendous exaggeration, that he felt like he took about three perfect swings a year. You could be, you, you can relate to that. Yeah, I mean, that's maybe a little bit of an exaggeration, but it, it's true, man. You, you know... Where everything's on time. I mean, it's just perfect. I mean, when Crony hits a ball up in the concourse... Uh, you know, when he hits a ball opposite field off the wall, off the, you know, the bullpen wall, you know, those are perfect swings. He's got 22 homers this year. So he's making a living those other 450 plate appearances where it's not perfect contact, where he is getting beat a little bit, or he's fooled, or the pitch is a little higher. It's down a little uh, below the zone. So that's kind of where you're making your living. And the good ones still get hits on those pitches the guys that are all looking for that perfect contact point every day perfectly and their bat is in and out of the zone because they're trying to get the barrel to that perfect spot and they're not working on the inside of the baseball yeah, those are the guys that are hitting you know 160 170 that probably have some homers but you know to me uh, give me a guy that's going to hit a lot of doubles and hit for a good average and swing at strikes and 
pop his share of home runs. When you have a team full of those guys, it's tough to beat. More with Dave Magadan, the hitting coach for the Colorado Rockies in a moment. But uh, first is for my friends at Ideal Home Loans. Brent Ivinson has assembled a great team, uh, a team that is going to help you navigate getting a new home or perhaps it is doing more with your current home and uh, helping you get in the right product so you have the money to do what you want to do or to buy that new home or that second home. They've been doing it in Colorado for more than 20 years, also down in Arizona. I always love to tell you they're, uh, they've got an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau. Tell you a quick story. Had a friend that's now used them for multiple loans reach out to me and say they felt wonderful about using Ideal Home Loans once again because of the attention to detail with the particular individual that they were working with. All questions answered uh, any time of day. They made sure that uh, they got their loan and, again, were in the right product for what their circumstances uh, were. So, again, it's Ideal Home Loans. Uh, They're marvelous. Give them a call, 303-867-7000. 303-867-7000. It is Ideal Home Loans. Now back to more with Dave Magadan of the Rockies. I want to bounce around for a moment. I want to take you back to when you broke in. It was the 86 Mets. And if I recollect accurately, you weren't on the postseason roster because you came up too late. But you, you started hitting from the get-go. Um, if memory serves me correctly, you went eight for your first 18 uh, with the Mets. What do you recall about that group, that team at, that took the field at 7, probably probably back then at 7.30, um, and the cast of characters that we've learned they had? Actually, it was 7.40 in New York, yeah, which right. is incredible yeah. thinking of that today. But. Um, yeah, it was a cast of characters, but let me tell you, when that bell rang, uh, they were they were out there to, to beat your butt, and they were going to do it any way possible, whether it was going to be great pitching, which was what they had, great bullpen, uh, great lineup, guys doing the little things to, to beat you on an everyday basis, whether it was base running, whether, whether it was moving a runner, whether it was getting a guy in for third, or whether it was popping a three-run homer, they, they had that. And my recollection of that was when we got called up, knowing how good they were, and at the time they had like a 21-game lead on the Phillies, and foregone conclusion they were going to win the division. Uh, we were scared to death. You know, we were like, let's just stay out of the way. Let's not screw anything up. And you know, so it was it was an impressive group. It was. Uh, it was an intimidating group. Uh, even though I went to spring training that season, uh, you know, still, you know, same thing, just kind of staying out of everybody's way and all that. And so I learned a lot from those guys. I learned what it took to to beat somebody's butt on it, you know, every day. Uh, it's not going to be done the same way every day. Uh, but they found a way to do it every day. And it was pretty impressive to watch. Was there a guy that was particularly good to you then i mean keith hernandez legend in new york just had his number retired obviously he was at first base you know carter was behind the plate was there a guy that that didn't i don't want to say big timey but but cared about the next group which you were part of Uh, it's a little different era back then 
you know, it wasn't like it is now where guys come up and they're accepted right away and, hey, you're part of us and, you know, you're going to help us win. And You know, when I got called up, uh, they had a great team. You know, they were on their way to winning a World Series. Uh, they didn't look at us as – they looked at us as maybe guys that were going to give them a day off after they celebrate winning the division, you know, for a couple days. But – or maybe in the way in the clubhouse, or that type of thing. Yeah, you know, so, but, you know, I, Keith Hernandez was very helpful. Uh, if I asked him something, he always gave me a great answer, an honest answer. Uh, I think Gary Carter was the one guy that understood what we were going through. And he had such a kind heart and was such a good person uh, that he always... Uh, worried about the little guy whether it was a one of us that was called up or whether it was a media guy or whether you know whoever it was you know he had he had that kind of the, the nose to understand that you know it's not always easy for everybody uh, so he was really helpful just you know unfortunately I saw him like towards the end of his career but still I still learned a lot from him uh, but I, w- I would say probably Keith just especially watching him play every day, how he was a leader, obviously the captain, but was it like another coach on the field? Uh, and I tried to, you know, I tried to, you know, I didn't try and copycat him, but, you know, I understood that, you know, when to go and talk to the pitcher, you know, try and calm him down, maybe give him a blow without the pitching coach having to go out there and talk to him. So in that way I learned a lot. And, and I learned how important defense was. Because, you know, I was always about hitting, uh, but seeing the impact he had as a defender, not only on, on plays that he had to make, but, you know, throws coming to, to him from, from other positions, you know, they had a lot of confidence in just getting the ball there, and he was going to pick it and make the play. In spring training, at any point in time, did you step in against Doc Gooden? I, uh, I did, and I also faced him. Uh, when I got, later on. Yeah, later on in his career uh, when I signed with the Marlins and we actually went back to Shea and he pitched against us. Uh, the one time I faced him in spring training when he was Doc Gooden, you know, the Doc Gooden that everybody talked about, uh, we were at Huggins Tingle uh, Complex, which fans probably can't believe it now, but it was literally where the Yankees spring trained in the 20s there in St. Petersburg there was one there was two fields no fence and the two fields faced each other and the one field that we would use for B games or live BP or whatever there was a water tower behind home plate and in the morning the sun was rising the water tower the, the shadow of the water tower would be covering the pitcher and the hitter you couldn't see you could not see anything so that's my experience facing Doc in a, in a live BP was at Huggins Tingle and couldn't see anything. So, well, it, Was he a combination? Because I obviously watched him growing up, college. I remember, I always, I always remember this, Max, and this would never happen today because you'd never throw this many innings. He was at Kingsport. He threw 191 innings. He punched 300. Think about that. He punched 300 in 191 innings, which, again, you would never see that in a minor league season. But um, I would imagine 
high 90s fastball if they put a gun on it with high spin rate and 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 a ridiculous literally pretty close to 12-6 curveball is that what you were looking at and that was his arsenal fastball curveball no change up no slider no cutter nothing fastball change up i mean fastball curveball uh i would imagine the spin rate was through the roof uh upper 90s back then very few places had guns we had a gun there at shea uh i talked to our gun guy he said he he hit 98 a bunch hit 99 a couple times uh but it was that combination of high fastball and then the curveball off the fastball or vice versa curveball and then fastball off that same where the curveball would start elite command some deception high leg kick you know like high front side uh but yeah it was it was pretty special it was almost like a day off when you were when you were playing defense behind I had to say hi real quick. How are you? Happy for you Thanks, man. man. How's it going? Good, good, man. Everybody's good. Good, that's awesome. It's awesome. It's always a grind. I, I hear you, man. I hear you. It's crazy, man. I want to say hi, you too, man. Good luck. Thank you. I talked to him earlier. He's, he's in a good place. Yeah. So, yeah. So, that wouldn't happen nowadays, what you said. It was actually in Lynchburg. 191 innings pitch, 300 strikes. Lynchburg, strike. I'm sorry. Lynchburg. Yeah, and then he went to AAA and pitched some okay. that year. And he got called up for the playoffs. So he went up there that year, and then I think it's rookie year in the big leagues. He had like 275 innings pitch. Yeah. You would not see that nowadays. No, ridiculous. 19 hey, years old. Hey, hey, real quick, one more thought on the 86 Mets. Is it true, Mags, years later you got a ring? Yes. So there was four of us. Actually, there was a bunch of us that didn't get a ring. Uh, and I can't tell you why. You know, we were call-ups. We played. Randy Myers didn't get a ring. He had, like, I want to say he had 30 innings pitched that year. Got called up during the season, during, the like, the early months of the season. It wasn't like he was a September caller. So, so we didn't get rings, and Randy Myers fought for 10 years to get them to give us a ring. And then finally, in 1996... They relented, and they released the, the uh, I guess, the blueprints for the ring, allowed them to make the rings, and the Mets paid for what the rings cost back in 1986. Randy Myers picked up the rest of it for the four that didn't get a ring. Very interesting. Yeah, Very cool. interesting. Cool. All right, fast forward to now. In what you do every day to get guys ready to play and scouting reports and uh, swing mechanics are you what percentage are you psychologist what percentage are you a mechanic I think it depends on the hitter uh, I think probably the younger guys it's gonna it's a little more it's both but there's probably more mechanics involved uh, trying to make them more efficient make their swing shorter, what's going to work up here, what necessarily works down in the minors doesn't necessarily work up here. Uh, and there's some psychology that goes along with that because there's going to be failure, there's going to be there's going to be trials for these guys, and, you know, it, it's it's tough grinding through it. Uh, probably the older guys, it's, gonna, it's probably a little more psychological, trying to keep them a little more positive, 
there's little things that they can go get out of whack with with their mechanics, but I think for the most part, you're just trying to keep guys positive. Uh, but it's different with every guy, you know. Like Crony, you can do it from a little more joking standpoint, and you know, hey, you stink today. What's going on? You know, about whatever it is, and he laughs with you and all that. Other guys are, you know, you got to be a little more. Uh, you got to massage him a little bit, and so it, it just depends on the guy. It depends. Uh, you got to learn the guys. You got to learn their personalities. I'm very lucky that I have two very good assistants, in, in Andy Gonzalez and PJ Politeri. Uh They're 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 great at the stuff that I can't be around for all the time because I'm in meetings, advanced meetings with our advanced scouts and all that. They've been a great help for me, and that's what it takes nowadays. It takes a team effort from the hitting guys to get guys uh, on the right track. How much better can you legitimately, obviously, every guy that gets here, even if there's a 25th, 26th guy, they're super talented. They're the best guy to come out of their town, best guy to come out of their high school, best guy if they went to college, come out of their university, best guy from their small town in, in the Dominican, whatever it is. How much better, though, honestly, when you got a guy that's, you know he, he's a you know six to eight home run guy and he's a you know 250 hitter with a good glove how much better can you make him at, at this level typically i don't think it's like wholesale like you know if you're willing you're gonna get better and all that but i think you can make guys better especially they're if they're younger and if they have Maybe some correction that they can make in their, their, whether it's their setup, their swing, their path, whatever it is that, that you feel can make them better and make them make more consistent hard contact. Because that's what the name of the game is, is consistent hard contact. If you're doing that, you're probably going to get a lot of hits. But I think what happens, not only with us, with probably every other team, is there's a lot of off-season hitting guys and there's a lot of guys in the ears of the hitters nowadays and you're constantly trying to fight through that fog of information that they're getting from other places and it, 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 it it's very frustrating and it was especially frustrating this year with the lockout because we couldn't even talk to our guys so when we showed up at spring training, we had no idea what these guys were going to look like. So that's the frustrating part for me. Uh, we try and navigate it as, as, as good as we can. Uh, but in the end, the guy's going to do what he wants to do. And you see the failure. You see the, you know, sometimes we see a higher ceiling than they maybe see for themselves. And they're happy with the lower ceiling because, you know, for whatever reason, they, they don't want to take a chance or you know they don't feel like they need to make a, 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 any kind of a adjustment. Uh, but I think that happens with every team. And the guys that are willing to make adjustments and, and make a little tweak that can make them a better hitter, uh, you know, I think you know, those are the guys that you see going from one level and taking it to the next level. If you let you get on out of here, I want to ask you about one guy. He, he's made an impression very quickly, uh, and that's Eloris Montero. I'm sure you probably, like all of us, want to call him Monty. So first name's tough. But um, he's come up, big personality. You can tell he's, he's got, you know, a bubbliness to him. 
He also, at every stop, he's been very productive. There's been power, there's been average. What do you see, and, and what do you see when you look in the crystal ball? The first thing I always look at is, is the swing repeatable? Does he have a lot of moving parts and a lot of stuff going on where pitchers can expose that, or it's a little more susceptible to, to, to the peaks and valleys? Uh, I don't see that with him. I see a guy that's got a very simple swing. He does that little step back. The one thing that he can get uh, away from is that step back can happen a little later, and then he's rushed to get to the pitch. When he's doing that on time, to me, he's 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 a dangerous hitter. He's proved that he's hit at every level in the minor leagues. Uh, he's got... I think he's got a better eye than he's shown so far in the big leagues. I know it's very tough for young guys when they first come up to to be disciplined and all that, but uh, I think he's shown in the minor leagues that he'll swing at strikes and he'll take a walk here and there. He's not a 100-walk guy, but he's certainly not. I think he's got one walk so far this year with us. But those will come as teams start seeing how dangerous he is. They're going to pitch him a little more careful, and then you're going to see the walk start to happen. So... I'm, I'm, I'm a big fan. Yeah, Mags, appreciate it, man. Good luck. Yeah, Mags finished up with a, a 7.67 OPS in his career. So uh, you last 16 years in the big leagues. He was a hit machine. I, I watched him uh, because I was in. Um, I just finished college. I just moved to Colorado in 1986 when uh, when Dave came up with the Mets and. You know, I've been a Mets fan my whole life, so I uh, was closely following that 86 version because they were the best team in baseball, and that was the year, you know, the Buckner ball and went through the legs, uh, or Mookie Wilson's baseball went through the legs uh, on that ground ball of Buckner, and the the Mets end up winning it. And uh, I, I thought it was a fascinating tale of the fact that Magadan didn't get a ring till 10 years later, and it was orchestrated by Randy Myers. It's pretty uh, fascinating stuff. But um, Dave, Dave does, I, I know when a team doesn't hit, it's easy to point to the finger, uh, point a finger at the coach. Coach's fault. We need a new hitting coach. You're not going to take um, a guy, as we discussed, who's a 250 hitter uh, with mild power and all of a sudden him may make him, you know, Bryce Harper. Ain't going to happen. You can tinker. You can help. I think he's helped in the case of Garrett Hampson a lot. He used to have a big leg kick and, and, and a lot of moving parts. And I think he simplified Garrett Hampson, and we've seen more success from uh, Garrett Hampson. Sam Hilliard naturally remains a work in progress. I think you're seeing um, Ryan McMahon shorter to the baseball and, and some of those results being borne out of late. It's a constant process with a hitting coach these days. But Dave Magadan is really well thought of. Uh, in the game. Enjoyed that conversation uh, immensely. I want to go back to a couple other notes about uh, what we were talking about earlier, where, you know, what what's truly going to get you excited as a, as a Rockies fan moving forward. And yeah, it absolutely is exciting to watch Montero right now. Groby, 
you know, before your eyes. And good for buddies, getting them in there every day, a little bit of third, a little bit of first, DHing, and that's a challenge because you know there are other guys who got who have to be in the lineup who play those spots, namely McMahon and Crone, and Charlie DHs quite a bit. But uh, Buddy's doing a really good job of making sure that young kid is uh, is in the lineup, and he's just twenty three. Um, Tovar, we talked about. I look back years ago, and I couldn't wait to get to the park to watch Nolan swing the bat to watch cargo you never want to miss a cargo at bat right the same thing obviously for helton and back in the day for for the hall of famer larry walker the rockies you know hopefully can get to that spot again with position players but i cannot wait to reiterate what i said earlier to when there's that pitching prospect that comes along that you don't say, well, you know, he has a chance to be a middle of the rotation guy or maybe fill out, you know, the, the back end of a rotation, but truly a guy whose stuff is electric. And hopefully that's not too far away with the Rockies. And it, again, it got me thinking watching uh, the exploits of DeGrom in his return to the Mets. Anyhow, enjoyed the week. Uh, the Rockies will be heading to St. Louis after playing the Diamondbacks uh, over the weekend. That'll be interesting uh, to be at uh, at Bush Stadium. But uh, we'll do it again next week. Appreciate your loyalty. A reminder to catch all the DNBR podcasts and uh, specifically my man Patrick Lyons on the DNBR Rockies podcast. He covers the team thoroughly every single day of the week podcast written material as well y'all take care we'll talk to you next week stay well